I tell you what, we choose some interesting readings, and uh, I think Leviticus is one of those books where you, you, it's really surprising, uh, particularly for us in our Western mindset, where we are, we're kind of inoculated from the grisly reality of life and death, aren't we? We, we tend to kind of convince ourselves that it's not really there, not really happening, um, we go to the supermarket and our meat looks as if it's been produced in some space-age factory rather than the reality of slaughter and death. But, that, but that's, that's life. I think there's a few things that almost are, um, they're a banner over Leviticus, which we can keep a hold of and we can think about as we work through a tricky bit of the Bible First is this, it is not an easy thing to be in relationship with God. That's the first thing that I would say about Leviticus. It's a distant world, isn't it? The ancient Near East, the Hebrew people, it's not our world, but the same remains. It is not an easy thing to be in relationship with God. The second thing I would say is relationships always cost. They always cost. Now, we know that in our own personal relationships, don't we? Even our best of friends, there's challenges in all of our relationships. Why? Because we're the kind of people that we are. And it, we all, it all, always costs us. Sometimes we don't maintain relationships because we don't allow it to cost us. We don't allow ourselves to be sacrificed a little bit for the sake of relationship. That's what relationships are. They are a little bit of self-sacrifice so that we might be together. Our world that we live in tends to create a picture in our minds that relationships can exist in some sort of perfect, continual, self-satisfying existence. And relationships can't exist like that. Relationships always cost us. And Leviticus is this, this great banner that says to be in relationship with God is not easy and it always costs, but we haven't got any way to pay it. So keep those things in mind as we trip through this next, next little passage. We find, don't we, in our Western world, the idea of sacrifice is a deeply, deeply offensive thing. The idea that it should, we should involve animals being slain, animals being killed. Let's be honest, Leviticus, Leviticus talks about blood being splattered all over the place. It is a grisly, grimy book. And we enter into this in our, in our world, and we think this is a horrific, awful terrible thing. Why would God ever do something like that? Well, for half of the answer, come back next week, but half of the answer we also need to recognize that a significant amount of the sacrifices in Leviticus are actually, they're actually about eating. They're actually about uh, sharing in community. 
sharing together and eating together, we come to this one today, this sacrifice that we're going to look at in Leviticus chapter 3, it is all about relationship. It's about eating together. Imagine living in a world where everything that we do, everything that we are shaped by, all of our daily activities are kind of, we are stepping to the beat of the drum of a relationship with God. That kind of, all of our life is shaped by that. The daily events, the meals that we eat, the relationships that we have, the things that we do, the pattern of our working day, the pattern of our working week. Imagine living in that kind of community where the, a relationship with God absolutely dominated all of our lives. Well, that was the life of the Hebrew people as we see them in Leviticus. That's how it's shaped. That's how we to at least begin to enter into that world and to understand it. Our problem is that we're so far away from that that we are, we are totally at the other end of the spectrum where we have lives which are relatively non-impacted by our relationship with God. We have relatively little impact. In fact, we've created a world, and very for many of us, this, there is a kind of, there is a sacred and a secular divide. The secular is everything that we do day to day, the things that fill up our lives, and then we do that sacred thing here and there, like kind of little drops in the moments of our week. An hour here, a half hour there, a, a period of time here, and it's kind of like a scattering that just almost like little drops of paint are on an otherwise blank canvas. That's the way we tend to live our lives, partly because our society is not shaped at all to the rhythm of relationship with God in the way that Hebrew lives were. We don't live in that kind of world, but, but also I think because we have inhabited the world that, we are, that is surrounding us far more than the world of a relationship with God. And Leviticus is very much about reminding us as believers, if we are a believer in Jesus, then the whole of our life is to be shaped, impacted, not just little drops here and there, everything that we do, shaped a little bit by our relationship with God. That's, that's what we're encouraged to see as we look at a book like this. So when we come to this particular uh, chapter, in Leviticus chapter 3, what we see as we, as we open it up is we see almost the same thing repeated three times. There's, if you bring, it says in verse 1, if your offering is a fellowship offering, uh, and that's of the herd, uh, and then later on we have, <coughs> I'll get it here rather than turning my back on you, if you bring an animal of the flock, and if you bring a goat. So what we've got is three different kinds of animals, all being brought for this fellowship offering. Different animals. In actual fact, in this particular instance, for this particular sacrifice, it doesn't matter whether it's male or female, 
All that the insistence is, is that it's not a defect. It's not defective. So, so that, that's quite significant, isn't it? There's a difference here to certain other sacrifices where it does insist, we'll see one next week, where it insists on a ma an unblemished male. In this particular one, it's a, it's a cow or it's a sheep or it's a goat and it's male or female, but don't bring rubbish. Don't bring the diseased. Don't bring the damaged. Don't bring those that are just about to peg it. Just bring the good ones. Because what this is all about, it's about eating together. When we look at the idea of eating together in our world, it doesn't have anywhere near the significance that it had in the ancient world. Not even close. It's quite likely, isn't it, that if you're in work with somebody or if you kind of bump into somebody that you, you might know a little bit, you, you might stop for a sandwich with them and you might uh, have a bite to eat at lunchtime if you're in work or somebody, some people that you meet in business, you might just have a, have a lunch with them. Uh, that, and, and that's just our pattern of life. You might, you might not, but you, you might. That's our pattern of life. Eating doesn't have anywhere near the kind of significance for us that it had in the ancient world. But in the ancient world, and it, we see it a little bit in certain countries, in our, even in Western Europe actually, eating is an incredibly significant event. I, I was watching a dietary program, um, and some say, yeah, you need to. Um, I was watching a dietary program a few weeks ago, and it was looking at the different ways that people eat around Europe. And apparently... One of the healthiest ways to eat is the French way of eating. Apparently, that's a great way to eat. If you're in France, you take your time. Lunch is an event. You pause, you stop, you share together. I, I, that's at least that's what it says on the, on the TV program. So you might correct me otherwise. It might be very different in reality. But eating is an event. It's a social event. You stop and you enjoy the moment. You enjoy the experience. You enjoy the relationship that goes on during that eating experience. Even that isn't close to the ancient world. In the ancient world, particularly for the Hebrew people, there were basically three ideas of eating, three types of meals. There was the sacred meal, there was the festive meal and there was an ordinary meal. Some of these that we're looking at here are ordinary meals, but they're shaped by the sacred. Some of them. It's a moment, it's an event, and actually to eat with somebody is an incredible statement of relationship. It says, I value you, I trust you, we are together. In the ancient world, you wouldn't eat with people that you didn't really have a deep relationship with. Why is that? Because food was precious. <laughs> food was a precious commodity. Uh, and therefore, to sit down and to share food was something of value, something of worth. It was relational. 
we enjoy this moment because it's a precious thing to do. Now, put that into perspective and see the implications when it says in, in the Scripture here that the animal that you are to bring is without defect, a valuable commodity. It says when you bring this offering, when you enter into this, it's going to be the best of the best. This is a good thing to do. It is you and me sharing this moment together. Now, we, so we move on. We see, well, what, how did it work? We don't really see it from here. But the first thing that we see when we dig in a little bit, when we go later on into the book of Leviticus, we find out that this offering is deeply communal. That's the first thing that we see. Leviticus chapter 7, 29 says this. Say to the Israelites... Anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the Lord, so that's this kind of offering. So the first bit of Leviticus says there's a number of different kinds of offering. One of them's a fellowship offering. Later on in the book, I'm going to give you a little bit more detail on how to actually do the fellowship offering. Anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the Lord is to bring part of it as their sacrifice to the Lord. With their own hands, they are to present the food offering to the Lord. They are to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before the Lord as a wave offering. Later on, it goes on and it says, and the right thigh is to be given to the priest to eat. So, this beast that is slaughtered, which you bring to the, to the uh, opening of the tabernacle and you slaughter it there and you hand it over uh, and part of it is to be eaten by the priest. The priest is to share in this moment, in this meal. Isn't that interesting? One of the people that you bring into your relationship is the one who stands in between you and God. That's what the priest did. The priest stood between you and God. There was this mobile temple, a tabernacle, set of tents, and right in the middle is the holy place where nobody goes, uh, and then the next phase out is where the priests do their, do their work before God. You and I couldn't get there. We couldn't go into that place. We couldn't go near the altar. We had, we had to have a priest who did that job for us. It's almost as though we, in a pictorial way, God is trying to help us to understand, I am so holy that you can't come close to me. So there are layers upon layers upon layers of distance between us and God. We can't get that close. We can't be there. And, and so the priest stands in our place, takes the animal, and then in what seems a, a, a really surprising moment, he takes the blood and he sp splatters it on the altar. I've been thinking a lot about this over these past few weeks as we've been, as we've been working through it. I don't think there's anywhere where the altar gets cleaned. <laughs> Can you imagine what the altar would look like? It's just caked 
in congealed blood. As more sacrifices are brought and more blood is splattered on the altar, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? But the priest takes some of it, and then later later on we find that God takes some of it. So the priest has some, and God has some. We'll see how God has some in a minute. The remarkable thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, the remarkable thing that we see in this moment is as this beast is taken into, this offering is taken into the tabernacle, into the inner part of God, uh, of God's presence, we see that there is a moment where, figuratively speaking, the, meat, the, the, the meal is taking place. The eating is taking place, not literally, but figuratively. What we said already about eating, it's a relationship thing. What's this saying? It's God is saying, I want to eat with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be in friendship with you. In the ancient world, there was plenty of sacrifice going on. Not just the Hebrews. Sacrifice was occurring all over the place. But what we get in Leviticus is all sorts of different kinds of sacrifice, including this moment of sacrifice, this fellowship offering, which goes beyond anything else that was known in the Eastern, Near Eastern world, where everything was about appeasing the mighty, powerful, fearful gods. God breaks in here and He says, I want to be your friend. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to know me, not as a fearful God, although I am in one sense, not as a God who demands response, although I do, but also as a God who is your friend. What a remarkable moment we see that God might say that in a very physical way, in a way that isn't with words, not describing it, it's doing it. It's saying this is the way it is to be. The offering that we see and the way that we see in God engaging in it, it is, is remarkable. It's, it's actually quite the opposite uh, of our Western fat-free diet. It, as we read through it, there is fat everywhere. There are, there are bits and pieces all over the place. But in verse 3, we read this, from the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord, the internal organs, and all the fat that is connected to them. All of the inner fat. Verse 9, we say, from the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord, its fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, the internal organs, and all the fat that is connected to them. Verse 14, from what you offer you to pre present this food offering to the Lord, the internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them. Verse 16, the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a ple pleasing aroma as the fat is the Lord's. Three different animals, 
all the fat from the, in it's actually the visceral fat, the inner fat from within the animal, all of that is taken and is placed on the altar and is burned. And that sounds grotesque and horrible, doesn't it? It sounds, ugh, sounds yuck. But if we put our ancient Near Eastern hat on, we would be thinking, hmm, that sounds great. Because actually the fat which carries the flavor, which carries the cooking potential, was the most highly valued part of the animal. It, that was the treasured bit. Actually, the sheep, I was reading about the sheep, where you cut off the tail near to the backbone, and it's actually the sheep in the ancient uh, Near East had quite long tails, and they were quite a significant amount of fat and marrow, and that was a really treasured cut of meat. It sounds horrible to us, but in their world, it was, and the bit that you take and bring to God is the most treasured bit of the feast. It's this, it's this idea that God is saying, to, I want you to treat me. I want you to consider me in my friendship with you as somebody who is being invited to a banquet with you. Imagine that. Imagine that you have a, a, a treasured kind of valued person. You would give them the best. The best is for the guest. That's the, that's the idea of this sacrifice. The idea that this best part, which sounds horrible to us, would have been considered the finest part of the animal to be given to God. So we have, and then the rest of it we find later on in uh, Leviticus uh, 9, I think it is, we find that we then take that meat and we eat it ourselves. So we've got a depth of friendship. We've got an offering which is fat to the Lord. And now we have an invitation to eat. So we've taken the animal. We've slain it. Fat has gone to the altar. The priest has taken some of the meat. Some of the meat comes back to us. What do we do with it? We eat it. God has created a staging, if you like, of a banquet. It's saying to us, I'm showing you what it is to have a banquet with me. It's through the priest. I take the best bit, but you take it as well. You, you take a part in this. You take this meat back. And in chapter 7 and verse 15, what is our attitude towards that banquet? It says this. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day that it's offered. They must leave none of it till morning. You say, well, that, is that relevant? Is that important? The way I thought about this was, I, I remember a, a good number of years ago, we were in Euro Disney. And if some of you have been to Euro Disney, you might know what the breakfasts are like. It's this kind of buffet breakfast 
I think we did pretty much what most people do with little ones. It's like, go and get another roll. Go and get some ham and some cheese. Bring it back. We'll wrap it up in syrup. That'll do for lunch. So, so breakfast is actually, we'll take a bit more and we'll kind of tuck it away and get one of those chocolate brioche. They're nice. You'll have that after you. So we build up a little picnic from breakfast because it's just food. I want you to imagine going to somebody's wedding and you look at the food that is spread out on the table. And you say, it's a good serving here. Get that Tupperware out. Just halve your meal. Put it, we'll, we'll, we'll microwave it tomorrow. Be great for lunch. Why wouldn't we do that? Because it would be absolutely disrespecting the notion of friendship that the wedding banquet is suggesting. You eat it now because it is a treasured moment with us. Don't, don't, don't eat there. Don't kind of take this meat and say, oh, actually, a good chunk of meat, this. Do three days. No, don't do that. You eat it in the day. Why? Because it is a statement of faith in that relationship. It's a statement of saying, I value that relationship. It is a privilege to me. It is something that I want, that I treasure, that I value. So this fellowship offering. Priest takes some. God, Yahweh, receives an offering on the altar of the best part which is consumed in the fire and burnt up and it ends as a sweet aroma. And then we partake in that, in that banquet as well by taking that meat home and treasuring the banquet in our own tent as we eat. And we're conscious that as we eat this meat, we are saying, I am in a relationship with the God who I have offered this to. Leviticus is an amazing book because it describes in actions, in things that we do, the possibility of relationship and friendship with God. That was breathtaking. It was dramatic. It was not the kind of God that humanity was used to. The kind of God that humanity was used to was only the angry gods that needed pacifying. Somehow we control them with these sacrifices. And this particular sacrifice is completely different. It says, enter into this relational moment with me. Be friends. Be in relationship with me. You know, I often think we have far more of an ancient pagan attitude towards God. Maybe that's where you are this afternoon. You're thinking, what is this God like? Is this God an angry God? Sounds like He's an angry God because all we hear about is sacrifice. Is this God the kind of God where I've got to appease? 
And right from the very beginning where God is establishing his relationship with his people, as they've just come out of Egypt, he says, this particular sacrifice you will continue to do because it speaks of friendship and relationship. It speaks of the possibility of you and me knowing each other in that way. It needs to be brokered by a priest. But it's possible. Isn't that an amazing thought? And the God that we see portrayed in Leviticus is the same God that we see throughout the Bible and the God that we describe and we speak about today. A God who says, I am a God of relationship. I'm a God who looks to you in your need and says what you need is a God who loves you, a God of fellowship, a God of friendship. Is that possible? It takes sacrifice for it. Okay, well, that's all fine. That's the ancient world. What does it mean for us today? How does this particular sacrifice speak to us today? Does it mean that we have to continue to bring part of our meal uh, and we sacrifice it to God and we say that that will go and enjoy our bit? Or is it the possibility, the little nudge, the little reminder to say, do we live our lives where every little part of our life is the possibility for us being thankful to God for His friendship, for what He has provided, for who He is? As I've been working through this, I've thought, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anywhere near as much as I should about the friendship that I have in God as the provider, the one who gives, the one who is. Is that it? Is that everything? What does it mean for me when I get up in the morning for work? What does worship in this kind of fellowship way look like then? I think there's two things that jump to my mind when we start to dig into that. First is this, the kind of worship and offering that we talk about now is not something physical like a sacrifice. It's us. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 12, And verse 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The sacrifices that were once physical animals, in this sense, Paul describes that we, become the sacrifice, the offering in one sense. In, in, in that we can become the statement of friendship. I've always thought sacrifice, sacrifice means appeasement and, uh, and problem, resolving of a problem. And yet this particular sacrifice is a statement of friendship. And I suddenly realize that actually my my giving myself the way Paul describes 
is a way of me stating my friendship in God, my trust and my love in God. And that's one thing that we can see. But I think we see something even more amazing in Jesus. The old Apostle John, who's coming probably towards the latter part of his life, who was exiled in Patmos, and while he was there, he had a vision in Revelation of what God is like in Jesus. And in lots of ways, Revelation kind of joins many of the dots of what the Old Testament sacrifice system and Jesus look like now. He opens it up by describing Jesus as a lamb that is slain, standing. That's an, that's the, we, it's apocalyptic language. It's language which is mesmerizing in one sense. It's spellbinding language in one sense. But it's language that is unachievable in reality. You can't have a lamb that is slain that is standing, can you? A lamb that is slain is dead, and yet the lamb that is slain is standing in the beginning of Revelation. And that's the, that's the wonder that John is describing, that Jesus, the one who represents, who all of these sacrifices were representing ultimately, is a sacrifice which is dead and yet lives. And then later on he says this, Jesus described himself in this way to John, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What kind of relationship is the Christian life actually like? Is it a constant experience of appeasing an angry God? Or is it that? That Jesus says, I am not going to, in that sense, impose myself by violence on anybody. I am standing and I am knocking on the door. And if you invite me in, we will eat together. I think it's amazing, that thought. Where God would say, I, am, I, will, I will eat with you. I will state that relationship with you. I will be in relationship with you as we eat together. I don't think I think anywhere near enough about that kind of relationship with Jesus. That the relationship I have day by day is one of intimate friendship, of one of relational experience, one where he says, I am eating with you day by day. It won't always be in this kind of tentative, distant relationship, 
there will be one day when we really will, in a, in a dramatic, incredible way, banquet together. That day's coming. But at least the Christian relationship is this. From Hebrews, who took an offering to the temple so that they could state their friendship with God, to Jesus saying, I will be outside of the door of your heart, knocking, and when you invite me in, I will build a deep, loving relationship with you as we spiritually eat together to the day where one day we will eternally eat together. We are in friendship, fellowship with God. Not because we have designed a way to be friends, but because He has structured the way to be friends. There's the possibility in the ancient Near East for these Hebrews to be friends with God. It was a fellowship offering. There wasn't any other way to do it. They couldn't decide, I tell you what, instead of a friendship offering, let's do something else to be friends with God. There was this way. In exactly the same way, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the one who is outside the door of your heart, and I am the one who is knocking. Invite me in, and we will be friends.